what I want us to uh, look at, remember in our devotional disciplines for today, we have study and prayer. So, but we also have consecration and worship from yesterday that we did not cover again. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and, and mesh all of them together. Later on, I want us to talk about the baptism of the Spirit. So when we pray, we are all on the same kind of wavelength about what God wants to do in our lives. Amen. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is to firstly start with worship as it relates to spirit and prayer. Amen. And um, from that space there, we can create the necessary foundation for our prayer in the evening. So let's go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29. That's where I want to start in Isaiah 29. In Isaiah 29, we're reading from verse uh, 13. So this God is talking to his people here. And he's, he's condemning their way of worship. Amen? And verse 13, Isaiah 29, it says, um, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So, God then, from this condemnation, uh, what I am I'm starting off with is the kind of worship that God does not want. Right? But again, what is important is for you to, in a nutshell, have a view of what God says worship is about, regardless of how or now we choose to define it. So God gives us a glimpse. He says, these people come before me. So from that space, even before they do anything, God says, when people come to worship him, they present themselves to him. Amen? So they come before him. And then he says, they honor me with their lips. Which, which means, in the context of what God is saying now, uh, I know generally we are prone to firstly want to say, worship is a lifestyle. Yes, it's a lifestyle. But you have to understand where the, the, the lifestyle comes from. So firstly, he says, when people worship, they come to him. Coming to God has a several uh, implications. So, this verse that we are reading, Jesus quotes it in Matthew chapter 15. You remember, he says, Isaiah was right when he says, these people come to me. So, Jesus basically is saying, worship has always been a problem. Because at that time that Jesus is speaking, he's condemning them for what God condemned they are forefathers for. So which means 
when you and I think about worship, we must not think of it as something that we are very good at. We must actually realize that worship has been a place of faltering for Israel and in the New Testament. So when we think we do right, we must be careful to never be at a point where we overestimate our effort. So firstly, he says, uh, you come to me, right? Then we'll have to talk about how does one come to, to God, even before they say anything. Then the second thing he says, they worship me with their mouth, with their lips, which means God does expect worship to come out of our mouths. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, it speaks of it. It says, let us offer our sacrifices, the sacrifice of our lips, which is our praise. But then, right there and there, God says a few things. He says, but number one, their hearts are far from me. What does heart mean? Remember we spoke about it yesterday. That the heart represents the inward man. The heart represents the spirit man. So what is he saying? He's saying, they are not connecting to me with their spirit. They speak, either they speak from their heads, which is what he's saying. He says, what they are saying is what they were taught to do, which is normally what churches do. We try to teach people how to worship, right? So, I'm not going to go to Matthew 15, because Matthew 15 basically says the same thing. But what I want you to see is the few things that you do wrong, they nullify your worship. So let's start with the coming. God says they come to, to me, right? So let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. In Leviticus chapter 10, God defines... Um, the coming to him in terms of worship. Remember, there's coming to God in terms of prayer. Remember Hebrews chapter uh, what? The faith chapter, verse 6. What? Uh, at least you got it. So, what, how do we come to God in prayer? For he who comes to God must first believe that is, is and is the reward of them that diligently seek him. That's when we come to God in petition, in prayer, in intercession. In, but when we come in worship, listen to what God says. Where are we? Leviticus 10, right? Listen to what happened there. It says, I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 3. It says, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers put fire in them and added incense, and they offered an authorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Are you following? So, which means God had stipulated in the commands how the fire of sacrifice, of the fire of incense, of worship, because that's how they worshipped as well. He had said, this is how you must do it. Yeah? We're going to come to that. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now remember, these guys that are dying, 
they are sons of Aaron, which means they are priests. Right? Being priests, they are legally allowed to offer these sacrifices. Do you know, Lerona, we are priests? So as priests, we have a legal right to offer sacrifices to bring worship. But God then says, no, 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 no. There's a worship that I hate. He hated the worship so much that actually he killed those who offered it. Thank Jesus for the blood that we don't get killed for the ones we offer. So, but these ones, they died. And verse 3 says, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said. So God gave a dictate on how people must come to see to him. He says, among those who approach me, agree with he has already spoken about you approach me, you come to me. So he says, when you approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all who the people I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. God says, when you approach me, you must approach me in reverence, in fear. Now, this is where the problem for the church normally is. Like I was saying yesterday, God can be your friend, he can be your father, but he's first God, he's the king, he's the creator of all things. You understand that type of thing? If he's your friend, he's your friend who's the king. If he's your father, he's your father who's the king. Are you following? Now, he says, they approached me. They had the legal right to approach me. But they aborted the attitude through which they must approach me. And as a result, I killed them. Are you, are you with me? So the first thing, it doesn't matter what your definition of worship is going to be. The point is worship in its intention is approaching God reverentially for who he is. Who is he? He is king. He is creator. He is supreme to everything. He's Jehovah. He's Adonai. He's, he's, he's Yahweh. He's Elohim. He's all that you are not. Does that make sense? So before you say anything in worship, ask yourself, what is my attitude of approach? So, Bazalani, we love singing. And in our singing, we think God is pleased. But you see, these guys did what they were supposed to do with their lips. But God still said, no, I hate it. Because your hearts are far. What should be in your heart? Fear and adoration. Are we there? Now, let's look at something interesting that you all know. In the book of Colossians, where we were, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Then we'll go to John chapter 4. We're just using the scriptures we are regularly familiar with. Are you there? It says, I'm reading from verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2. To verse 23, it says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? 
do not are you are you all where I am? Verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based merely on human commands and teachings. What is God condemning the other side? He says, Rona, your worship is just what you were taught. Are you following? So which means for other people, worship is precisely what the cheerleading Sunday is. But when we worship, let's lift our hands. Let's do this and this. Okay, sometimes it gets extreme in other contexts where people, their worship is what they dress, it's the, the sacrifices they make. So the, 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 these are the things that God says, no, you were taught these things. In other words, your worship emanates from the mind and the traditions of men. And this is what he says, verse 23, this is the part I want to hear. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. You hear what this? It's not God-centered worship. It's self-imposed worship. But here's their problem. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What is God saying? God is saying, true worship changes the worshiper. Now we need to pause and ask ourselves, does our worship change us? I'm willing to bet that not. Because true worshipers don't fall into the same... Because when you get into worship, you come to God. Okay? How? With reverence and fear. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? To fear the Lord is to shun evil. Therefore, where the fear of the Lord is not there, Worship cannot, true worship cannot happen. Every other thing that you see we us doing in the church is what we were taught. But now Jesus says this thing, which I guess most of us have an understanding, but we, our understanding is not a working understanding. In John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, when we read, there, I agree, you remember, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman again. And they get to talking about worship. So the few things that uh, Jesus mentions to the woman, right? Let's start with this uh, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So other people don't worship God within the divine of their hearts. They worship God within the definition of a space. So other people go to church to worship. Yeah, but you see that worship already has a Problem because God says to you, no, 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 no. True worshipers don't look for a place. True worshipers are a place. Does that make sense? Because He says, their heart, the source of worship, the inward man, is not connected to me. 
Therefore, true worship does not happen. Even if they go to what they call church, they still cannot worship truly. Are you there? Yeah. And he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. If you worship what you do not know, your worship is false. In a similar manner, if children of God worship God, but they don't know God, they worship an idol, because then you worship the, the God you created in your own head, or somehow you perceive. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. We Jews, on the other hand, we, we, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers, now these true worshippers are neither Jew nor Gentiles. They could be both. So this time he's not making a distinction. He says when the time comes, it won't be whether you are a Jew or what. This is what will determine true worship. The true worshippers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. God is what? Spirit. And his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. But here's the part I want you to see. For such are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. Now, God in the Old Testament seems to be looking for particular kinds of people that he doesn't seem to find. The Bible says he is looking for an intercessor. He says, I look for a man to stand between me and the nation that I do not destroy it, but I found none. And then Paul continues to show us that whilst intercessor was someone God looked for, God looked for Abraham, he says Abraham, Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Job interceded for his children. Intercessors, people who pray, continue to pray, but God keeps saying, I'm looking for people who can pray to the event that then Paul says, prayers and petitions must be made for all kings and all because that's what pleases God and then Jesus in Luke 18 says Luna as my children I want you to pray without ceasing are you there hold that thought I want you to to pray and then comes this aspect of worship he says the father is still seeking it is possible that the father's seeking is never satisfied even in our midst and I'll tell you why. Because he says, the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. For he is what? His spirit. Are you there? Now, for most people, when they think about this idea of the Father seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth, in their heads, I don't know what you think. But they are not thinking what Isaiah says. Isaiah is the one who says, no, 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 no. Your problem in your worship is that your inward man is not in that worship. Are you there? So let's, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, I want you to see something of what informs true worship in spirit. So, if the 
Okay, hold hold on the. Put your finger on Isaiah 11. Let's go to Acts. This thing has started. You know when it starts. I'm not trying to confuse you. So that the verses come. You are in Isaiah chapter 11, right? Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 2. I'm trying to explain and show you what worshiping in the Spirit means. And how does it happen? So it says, um, in Isaiah, rather in Acts chapter 2. First and foremost, let's start with verse 1 to 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, when this, the Holy Spirit came, he didn't start, he didn't just land. The Bible says he came like a mighty rushing wind and filled the whole place. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Can you have the picture of what happened on that day? It doesn't say the, the, the tongues of fire came separated. It says that separated. So they came and then they were distributed, these tongues of fire. It says, and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit did what? Gave them what? Utterance. Okay. Now let's see what this utterance was all about. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem. What kind of people? Verse 5. What kind of Jews? God fearing. So you have to understand that the, the Bible says all these were in one accord. The ones who were in the upper room. But you must appreciate the fact that the fear of God was even amongst the Jews that were around. So if people who were just around there feared God, how much more the ones who were in the upper room? Remember, God said, when you come to me, you must fear me. You must have reverential fear. So the first condition of true worship was met. People who were gathered, they had the fear of God. Are you there? Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are these all speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, to Judaism, Cretans, and now here's what I want you to see. Somebody read, uh, okay, for the sake of the recording, let me read it and then you confirm. 
It says, we hear them declaring what? Declaring what? The wonders of, what is that? That's worship. That's praise. So the first time people spoke in tongues, in an environment of the fear of God, you would imagine sometimes when we say we're speaking in tongues, we, we actually don't even consider what were the first tongues about. The Bible says, David writes, he says, I will extol you, O Lord, I will declare the wonders of your works. So the Bible says, when they first spoke in tongues, it was not petition. Those who heard them give testimony to the fact that, wow, they are declaring the greatness of God, the wonderful works of God. But remember, they spoke. What does he say? He says, you come to me with your lips, but your inward man is not connected. Are you following? I hope someone is hearing what I'm saying. In this case, this is what is happening. The Bible says, the spirit man is a born-again spirit. What do we know about the born-again spirit man? Is that he is no longer under condemnation based on what God said in Genesis 6 as we read last yesterday. In Genesis 6, God says, I cannot contend, I cannot contend with the spirit of a human being because he's full of Sin, the inclinations of his heart as forever sinful. Now, now, now the Bible says, in this case, the spirit that is born again, the spirit of God speaks to. So now, there's a voice of the spirit of God. What is the spirit of God doing? He gives the spirit man utterance. What does the spirit man do? He gives the lips, the physical lips, what? Utterance. Are you following? So, when they are speaking in tongues, they are enabled by the Holy Spirit. But they are not speaking from their mind. They are not speaking what they were taught. They are speaking what the Spirit is speaking to the Spirit. So, what you are hearing is the voice of their Spirit. Okay, let's 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 go to uh, First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter fourteen. We'll come back to Isaiah. Are you still there? Okay, so let's try and read this. It says this is something I want to teach later, but now because we're talking about worship, I have no option but to get into it. Ne? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want you to, to hear something. I'm just going to try and read a lot of it. Remember, I'm saying they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. But what their lips are saying is the voice of their spirit. Are you there? So it says, uh, I'm reading from verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially 
prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but speak to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Are you there? But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and courage and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready so that it so for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak in intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, not yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit. Try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Now here's what I wanted to hear. Anyway, this is another teaching altogether. He says the one who speaks in a tongue should what? Pray. That they have interpretation, right? Now, let me continue reading. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Are you hearing? What you are hearing is not my mind. Is there? Is my spirit. So tongues is the voice of my spirit. But where did my spirit get that? The Bible says they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So where does my spirit get this thing he's talking? talking? From the Holy Spirit. Are you following? So the Holy Spirit gives my spirit utterance, which means my heart is in it. Because my spirit represents my heart. Okay. So it says, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Other way, otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So here's the point. I, I, I don't want to get to this point, but it is important that we clarify it. All praying is speaking. Right? Whether you speak in your heart or all praying is speaking. But not all speaking is praying. Are you understanding? And this is where the churches clash about tongues. When I pray in a tongue, I'm not speaking to the church. When I stand in front of the church to speak in a tongue, because that's what they used to do. You stand and in front of the church, you speaking. 
because you are speaking, you must have an interpreter. Do you need an interpreter to pray? Do you understand the difference? If I pray, if I pray now, in fact, I decided when I teach this in the church, I must get someone who prays in German and put there in front of you as a church. That person is speaking in tongues to you. But that person is praying to God. So he's not instructing the church. When you are speaking to the church, you need an interpreter, otherwise keep quiet. Yes. But when you pray, how, how would you know even whether you pray? It's that thing that you hear inside of you that I was saying to you. Sometimes when you pray in tongues, you're going to hear with that come. But that's not the discussion for today. The discussion is worship. The discussion is the fact that when you are praying in tongues at that point, the words that are coming from your mouth are not coming from your head. They are coming from your spirit. Where did your spirit get them? From the Holy Spirit. Are you following? So true worship, therefore, when the Bible says it is done in spirit, it means your, your inward man is the source from who you are. Obviously, it will be informed by the Holy Spirit working in you, but you worship from your spirit man. Now, let's go to uh, Isaiah 11, before I totally forget about Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, you are shown there that if you were to understand how the worship through the Spirit works, you have to understand the nature of the, or the manifestations of the Spirit of God. The Bible often talks of the, 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 the sevenfold, the Spirit of God. Ah, let it be. You know? It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, Talk, talking about Jesus again. It says, from his root a branch will bear fruit. Now listen, it says, I'm reading verse 1 again. So we are in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Right? Talking about Jesus. When you are born again, the spirit of God rests on you. But these are the manifestations of that spirit upon you. The Bible says he'll be called, it will be the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of what? Knowledge and of the... Are you aware that everything you've read here it's what the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? So when, when, when Paul talks to Timothy, he, he, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, we have not received the spirit of the world, of cowardice, but we have the spirit, the spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. Now, that same spirit, the manifestations... The, the, the sevenfold manifestations, the Bible says here, firstly, 
you will have the spirit of the Lord. The Lordship of Christ will cover you such that it doesn't make sense. Therefore, the spirit of the Lord is that aspect of the manifestation of the, 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 the God aspect that allows you to come to him as Lord. You understand? So when you come to Jesus, you come to him as Lord. Because the spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. So the spirit of the Lord, the liberty that emanates from that manifestation, is the one that allows you to come to God confidently. Right? But he also does several things. He's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Unfortunately, when you are not in the spirit, then you don't walk in wisdom and understanding. He's the spirit of counsel and of power. You do realize this. That's what Jesus says. When, he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. He will lead you in he's the spirit of truth, right? But even more important, you will receive power. Why? Because he's the spirit of mind. As it relates to worship itself, is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So worshiping God in the spirit is not possible where the spirit of the fear of the Lord is not that way. So he says, we will, we will worship the Lord in spirit. It can only be in spirit, not in what you perceive to be spirit. But the spirit is your spirit man who receives all these things from the Holy Spirit. How are we born? The Bible says you are born of water and spirit. Are you following so the activation of the Holy Spirit, of your spirit, brings about those things. That is why now the Bible says, when it talks about gifts, it talks about word of wisdom, isn't it? Word of knowledge. Where do they come from? The Bible says they are the gifts of the spirit. Given to who? To your spirit man. Are we still okay with that? So from that space, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So truth, as it relates to worship, has different levels. The first is by the Spirit of Truth. Who is that? The Holy Spirit imparting truth to your spirit. What did Jesus say? He will lead you into all truth. But the Holy Spirit does not speak to the mind. He speaks to the Spirit and the spirit speaks to the mind. Are you following? So that's the first level. The second level is the the level of the word of God. The word of God has two manifestations. It's the living word and the written word. But all of them testifies to the living word. So firstly, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But when he prays in John 17, 17, says, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. So what does that mean? Worship that is not based on the word of God. It's not based on truth. Worship that is not based on the nature of Jesus. 
is not true worship. Guru, some fancy words that are not even in the word. They they sound nice. We ganda ganda. What what like all these things of that we all try to put in. It's okay because of what you are trying to put through. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but you know when it boils down to what God said. Basutu we like saying, It's okay. It is your cultural understanding of what the mighty one is. Yeah, but let's let's put let's just put perspective. Has God given himself that name? Are uh, you following? So you have to decide in your heart, do I want to stay with what, how he has revealed himself? Because he can only be worshipped in the light that he has revealed himself through the character of Christ and through the, the weight. And then comes another level. In Psalm 51, it's Psalm 51, isn't it? Let's go there. Just so that I'm not alive. Are you there? So this is this is David. He had you know the story that David had uh, sinned against God again. Okay, so let's read. In Psalm 51 says, Have mercy, O God, according to your unfailing love. What I want you to see is that David is going to show you two things about worship. Firstly, he speaks to God according to how God has revealed himself. And then he's going to talk about the necessity of true worship from himself. So firstly he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire what? You desire what? From where? From the inward path. You, you desire truth in my inner being. Another version says that. In other words, you desire truth in my inward man, in my spirit. What does verse 10 say? Create in me a what? A pure heart and do what? And renew what? A steadfast one. Where? So you see, David is saying it is not possible to totally repent and worship God without truth in the inner being. So some people say, I worship God, but you are a hypocrite. So truth determines whether you worship the truth that is in your heart. So firstly, whether you are honest as a person. Secondly, whether you worship God in the light of what the ways reveals him to be. Thirdly, whether you worship God in the light of the character of Jesus. And fourthly, whether you worship God in the light of the leading of the spirit of truth who is the Holy Spirit. Are we still okay with it? 
So from that space, Bazalan, let's look at what then Paul says. He says, therefore, I will pray. First he says, I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind, understanding. I will sing, which means I will praise. I will worship with my spirit. I will also sing with my mind. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. What do you do when your mind does not have enough resources for prayer and worship? You've been in that place where you try to pray and it's like your prayer just hits the ceiling and comes back to you. Even you yourself don't know what you are saying. You say it and you think, what was I saying? Let me start again. I'm oh, sorry, God. Uh, forget about that, the first thing. Let's start afresh. You start afresh, your mind starts... It goes all over the place. You've never had, it has never happened to you. If it has never happened, you've never tried to pray. We must pray for you today. You understand? There are those when, days when you want to worship. And there are these voices. Sometimes there are voices of the devil. You try to worship. You feel condemnation. Your yesterday's sin is like it's written there. Mene, mene, take it. You have been... You know what the Bible says? You have been tested, you have been weighed, and you are found to be very light. So your worship can't reach heaven. It doesn't... You've never been there. And I just know, I'm just asking you, if you are born again, you have been there. So, which means, there are days where you can't even offer to worship. And you're like, uh, they ask you, how was the, the, the service? It was nice. But you know, worship didn't happen for you. So, can you imagine what a limitation it is when your spirit does not have the tongues from Jesus. Because now the, the Bible says, now when you speak in tongues, now you shortcut the devil's interject into your mind. Because suddenly when you pray in tongues, where are you getting utterance? Who are you speaking to? God directly. What are you doing to yourself? You are charging yourself. You are. Where your mind was becoming weak, now suddenly you're bringing that energy back. Are you following? Let me ask you a question. If you understand that, does it even make sense for people to say you shouldn't speak in tongues? It doesn't make sense. And that is why the devil has cheated the church of being filled with the Holy Spirit, so that people can speak in, in tongues. Because when you speak in tongues, you don't stay in a level where he can access you. You don't stay in a defeated state. Because the mind can be carnal, even though you have the mind of Christ. To get to the mind of Christ, you have to do the work that we spoke about is renew your mind. But what if your mind is not at that level? So it means the devil is going to keep don't say too much to God. You are not in a right state. But you see, the good thing about when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he gives your spirit utterance, ah, 
he gives the spirit to the one who is born of him and therefore has no remember your spirit man does not have history he's the new creation all things don't apply to him the things you did then don't apply to this spirit man are you following so when the when god connects to your spirit the devil cannot bring accusation because the spirit man there's nothing he's born of the incorruptible siege of the word of God and so when he he prays or he worships whatever he does and he gives utterance to your spirit when you speak heaven is bound to listen and respond why because he's justified the law of sin and death does not apply to him are you following so Firstly, I wanted us to understand that when it comes to worship, a lot of what we call worship is not worship. Because the spirit of the fear of the Lord is not, yeah, he's not the one driving that worship. That is why when we say the Bible says he's the spirit of holiness. I could you saw that. Is it fair for God to say, be holy because I'm holy, when there's no holiness in us? It's not fair. What is fair is that God is only saying, live by your spirit. When you live by your spirit, that's when worship becomes a lifestyle. Let's go to Galatians. Maybe I may want to stop today. I don't know why I want to stop today. But let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We have read these things. But I just want to read them in the context of what we are talking about. So it says, uh, you know that the Bible speaks of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that consecration. Okay, let me just start this topic and just connect all of them. Galatians chapter 5. Consecration is the work of being purified and separated unto God for God's purposes. You understand? I send you some ideas around it. That consecration happens one in we 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 you saw that in Titus chapter 2 again, where it says we read from verse 10 downwards to 14. Uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to, un- to ungodliness and live pure and holy lives in this wicked age as we wait for the Savior from there. And it says, Jesus Christ who died for us to purify unto himself a people eager for good works. That's what consecration means. It means you are purified for the good works, for the purposes of God. Are you following it? But then I showed you another scripture that says, those who have the hope of his coming, they purify themselves. You understand? That purify yourself is what Romans chapter uh, 12 verse 2 talks about. Offer your bodies as what? 
which means cut out all the sins and so on and so forth. So when we're talking consecration, therefore, we're talking about life in the spirit. Why is it life in the spirit? In the book of Romans, it says, through the spirit, we put to death the works of the flesh. So now we are combining worship, consecration, and prayer. Are you still there? You think you can manage another five minutes? Verse 16. So I say, we are in Galatians 5 again. So I say, do what? Walk. Walk. Remember, we, I sent you, we spoke yesterday about Colossians, where we said, read the verses. In Colossians 2 6, it says, Now that you have received Christ, walk ye therefore in him, being rooted and established. Do you remember that verse? So now walk, the word walk as used in the Bible, it means conduct yourself. Live. So it says here, so live or walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So let me tell you how this thing went. A lot of people keep saying to God, I won't do it. But you know you are lying. You're going to do it. You know why? Because you are promising in the flesh and you are going to try and put the work of the flesh to death by the flesh. How does that even work? Oh, let me tell you, it doesn't work. I mean, I tried it many times. When I was at my sinful best or worst, whichever one, I used to say, God, I won't do it in me. I would promise and promise. Guess what? Because of the guilt, the Bible says it is the goodness of God, Romans 4.2, it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. But repentance comes with godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. So mine was worldly sorrow. It was just like, sometimes you are caught. Sometimes you just feel guilty. You know you feel guilty because the Holy Spirit convicts you and the devil condemns you. And you, you, you caught like, ah, oh God, it's, it's bad either way. And then you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. You know you're not going to do it for as long as you feel the guilt. As soon as the pain of the guilt wanes down, guess what? You are back at it. Ne? But here's the point. As soon as I realized that this thing is hard, I even thought I need deliverance. I know some of you who think you need deliverance. You think I need a pastor to cast the demon out of me? Uh, some of the things are not demons. You may need deliverance for other things. The Bible says deliver us from evil. You know, Some of the things we call deliverance are not even deliverance, but let's leave that. The point is, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are you there, saints? And then it says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not doing what you want to. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the, the law. We'll talk about the, the act of the flesh. You know that one again. Let's go to verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit, where does he impart this thing? To your 
spirit. Is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to hear what it says. It says, against such things there is no law. You remember what it said about false worship? It says false worship has many laws that cannot restrain the sensuality. Such that when you worship, ah, you kneel down, you do all the outward acts. The flesh still rules. That is why people can preach, they can worship, they can lead, and still go and sleep around. But I, I tell you, most of the time, when, okay, let me tell you about me, when I was a sinful preacher. When I am going to preach, just for that time, I'm like, God, please, let your spirit flow. I remember I even had a specific prayer. Don't let your people be robbed because of my sinfulness. <laughs> Almost, if you understand what it means, is never mind what I do. Just use me so that they, they get what they need. Are you following what I'm saying? When I preach, the anointing will come. And you see people. And then, fine. And after church, helpful this. I was... And because God was gracious, I feel like, yes, me and God. Yeah, but you and God. You understand? Because God was gracious, you think you're okay. No, you are not okay. You are actually, you stand accused. But because it happened, yeah, about that, I'm talking about myself. It sounds like I'm talking about me. I'm actually talking about you as well. There are things you do in the flesh. You do them out of dryness. You know that you are not in a good place spiritually whatsoever. But you go. They said go and share. You come, you share. And in that place of desperation, you ask God. You are like, you repenting for the last time. God, this is like... See, after repenting today, you'll never hear me saying, I'm sorry again. You are still lying, you know why? Because you operate under the law. The law, the Bible says, the law became powerless because of sin. Why? Because the letter kills. What does that mean? The letter kiss, the spirit gives life. It means the letter, the law, the word of God, the written, the logos, can tell you what to do or not to do, but it never give you power. You understand the difference? You can know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Yeah, but how are you going to put death to the, the desires of the flesh? You can't. The Bible says all these laws are unable to restrain the flesh. So even when you know, I must not lie. I must not. That is the law. But the law does not have the power to enable you not to do what it says not to do. In other words, the law does not have the power to enable you to obey it. But once you disobey it, the law has the power to bring condemnation and judge you. That is why after you sinned, then you feel condemned because the letter kills. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law, which means 
when my sins were upon Jesus, they were judged, and because justice had to be met, I died with Jesus. But then the Spirit gives Five minutes is finished. Eh? So, when you are in the spirit, the law does not apply. You know why? It's, it gets fulfilled automatically. Because when you walk in the spirit, you automatically fulfill it. You, you live by it. The verse I wanted to come to, it says, those who belong to Christ. Where am I? Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. How did they do it? By the Spirit. And then it says this way. Since we live by the Spirit, since we walk in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So here's the point. The point, Bazaran is what I'm trying to teach myself and you is a journey. Walk in the Spirit. Once you walk in the Spirit, then the Bible says keep in step. Because then the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your spirit. What must you do? Obey. What must your spirit do? The Spirit will inform your mind, your emotions. And then you keep in, in step. But the difficulty here is to... Is two parts. One, you can't really walk in the spirit when you don't know how to listen to the spirit. Are you following? Yes. So which means that's where silence and solitude become important. To start like uh, Mr. T was saying, that you stop talking, you start listening. The Bible says, be slow to speak, but quick to Listen. So listen to the inner promptings of the spirit. Are you following? When you start learning to listen, so the first way of hearing God is through his will. Right? And then as you learn to listen to God speaking to you through the will, when you listen inside, you keep quiet, you listen to the voices coming out of your heart, you will hear those things. And you are going to stop saying, I have two hearts. No, you don't have two hearts, you have one. Are you following? So that which confirms the word of God is the spirit of God. That which, when you have heard and leads to peace, is the spirit of God. And then later we'll talk about this. So that's the first level of difficulty for most of us. The second level is the fact that you are not baptized in the Spirit. That's why Paul comes to those guys. He says, again we read it in Acts 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Which means when you baptized. Because then when you are baptized in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit become a norm that makes you desire more of the Spirit. Because sometimes to operate in the gift of the Spirit, you have to learn what the Spirit says. If you are, go are you going to go around laying hands on everyone who's sick? You're not going to do that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just say, pray for this person. When you know I'm baptized, you don't have the fears that some of us, 
Hey, I was scared. What if? No. The Holy Spirit won't say pray for them when you don't have the power to heal them from him. No, he will never do that. He's not in the business of embarrassing you. Are you following? But now, if you are not baptized in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit challenge your faith at an intellectual level. That is why it says a carnal man cannot accept this. Because now, imagine if the Holy Spirit speaks in you and he says, stand here and preach to these people. When you are not filled with the Spirit, guess what's going to happen? Boom. To your mind. Again, your Spirit speaks. He strikes the mind. But now, the law of sin and death says, you dare. Why do I tell these people? Firstly, you don't even know what to say. Are you following? But when you know it's the Spirit of God, no, the Bible says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He just stood. The people he stood in front of were not ordinary people. They were rulers of the day. But the same guy could not stand his ground. Abutaki, a little girl. You were with them. Peter said, I wasn't. But filled with the Holy Spirit. The state and status of his audience meant nothing to him. Are you, are you hearing me? So today what we will be doing, even as we pray, uh, we'll be talking about praying around learning to hear the Spirit and putting to death things by the Spirit. In other words, to realize that true repentance is when, by the Spirit of God, we put to death the works of the flesh. It's not feeling sorry that you did something wrong. And then later on, when we speak and we pray about the uh, baptism of the Spirit. Sometimes people don't desire the baptism of the Spirit because they think it's for those crazy Christians. Yeah. So we're going to try and explain why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you don't get filled because when you don't have faith for it, you are like, ah, kitila tabu. <laughs> because you don't understand the implications. Yes, make well. Okay. Um, I have a, I, this, these are deep issues, right? Um, and I Why is it that it sounds so the same um, 
But that even uh, uh, the secular world, they are making songs about speaking in tongues. And two related to that, um, how is it that in the churches we say at times that um, let's all pray in tongues? Find that a person doesn't have faith to speak in tongues and pray in tongues, right? Does that not become hypocrisy to that person and condemnation that becomes in the sense that I'll be standing there and everyone else is speaking in tongues and I'm also saying things because I know this is what tongues or either what tongues sound like, right? But my mind is telling me you are just repeating what everyone else is saying. So I'm not doing it in the spirit. Um, I don't know. Is that not uh, making us religious to say let's all pray in tongues when when it's not spirit led from my side? Um, and does that not lead into condemn self condemnation? Um, another one, another one of my questions. And I think you just answered it. Um, the walking in the spirit. So I understand that it is about allowing the word of God because I had the question how, right? I may think I know, but I'm asking this question. <laughs> so the word of God is important, right? Um, it guides, it guides us what we want our mind and attest to to the spirit. Um, I think also the. Maybe this is no longer a question, okay. Now let me read it. Okay, let's start with the, 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 the cultures we create as a church. Yeah? Remember, part of what these workshops are doing, uh, remember what I said? I said, uh, the reason we called all of you is so that if there has to be a change in the life of the church, you know, you're not sitting there and think, is is coming with a cultish mentality. So when they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost in the house of Cornelius, nobody told them. You understand? The Bible says, as Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit came and he started speaking in tongues. So in essence, in the Bible, we don't really have any instruction where somebody says to people, let's speak in in tongues. Are you following? Now, the understanding of the benefits of tongues amongst the charismatics has led to that point where uh, we say to people, let's speak in tongues. Why? One, because we perceive that the environment uh, needs an, a spiritual uplifting. Now, in my mind, and based on your questions, already you can tell that, in a sense, we are trying to induce what the spirit must do. And we try to induce it. Now, the, the truth on the other side is this, is that tongues are taught by the Holy Spirit to your spirit, which means anytime you can start speaking in in tongues, because he has given you it's like when I teach my child to speak, I'll give them words. 
I give them what? Utterance. At one point, they will be able to say certain things. That is why tongues seem to change. If you have ever experienced, you, there are times when you start speaking in tongues, you speak what you generally know as your giving utterance. And then suddenly, over time, as the Holy Spirit gives you more utterance, you end up, it's like, hey, which ones are these ones? They change. You understand? But the point of the matter is this, is that in our quest to induce what the Holy Spirit must bring, we encourage one another. Why do we encourage one another? We are, we are thinking, I'm looking and thinking, but as a man, we need to be charged. What do I know about being charged? If you speak in tongues, you'll be charged. But the question is, should we even be inducing them? I said that type of thing. Then it boils down to, when things are not done from the Spirit of God, to create an environment, we end up inducing. It's like, you know, when we, let's worship, let's lift our hands. Let's do this, let's do this. It's that very thing that your worship is mere teachings of men. Are you following? The other side, which is a sad thing, is that in other churches, tongues are taught how to speak in, in tongues. And as a result, Mina, because I feel condemned, like you say, I learn them. I learn them with my mind. The, the challenge with that is you have to see the challenge on both sides. If I learn them, I'm not speaking in tongues according to the Bible. I may be speaking in tongues called Wagla Bloglo, something that we all don't know. But it's not the tongues of the Spirit. On the other hand, when you speak in tongues for the first time, your mind is going to play some assaults on you. Because your mind, even if they are from the Spirit, your mind is still going to say, what is happening? What is this? And like you said, so let me put it this way. Suppose, you heard what he says, we hear the move our languages, Egyptians, Mesopotamians, the Medes, and what. Suppose God decides, I'm going to give you the Medes language. It's going to sound the same. Sometimes it sounds the same because as we hear other utterances from other people who speak in the spirit, we pick those as well. Now, that does not make it wrong. What is unfortunate in the process is the fact that we induce the work of the spirit by the flesh. But in, in the same token, don't allow this flesh to stop you when the mind does not understand what you are saying. Does that make sense? The other thing, maybe we'll talk about it when you talk about tongues, is whether tongues are always the languages of men or not. Yeah, but that one we'll talk about it when we talk about later speaking specifically on tongues. Yes. Question. yes, questions are more questions. Okay. 
So about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 1.13 says, And now you Gentiles have also had the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right? So from this portion, I believe in Christ. He gives me the Holy Spirit based on my belief, my, and then goes the confession speaking and all of that. I'm saved now. Guaranteed the Holy Spirit. So why is it that we need the baptism to call for the baptism of the Spirit when the Word of God says, by believing in Him and by, yeah, the Spirit of God now is. Good question. So let's, let's go to John. John chapter... John chapter 20. So let me explain first the, how the Holy Spirit works. So first and foremost, when you are born again, the Bible says several things. It says you are born of the Spirit. How does that work first? It says you are baptized into the body of Christ. So you are born of the Spirit. You are baptized into the body of Christ and you are sealed. The Bible says we are saved with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Are you there? That makes you a child of God. Right? Now, then you have the indwelling. He says the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. The indwelling Spirit of God. That's what Ephesians talks about. But that's this is how the indwelling happens. Let's go to verse... Um, 19, we want to get to verse 22. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together with those locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Listen to verse 22. And with that he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He said, Receive what? The Holy Spirit. But now, the very same Jesus comes now in Acts chapter 8. Now, this is not the same incident. In Acts chapter 8, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I guess. Let's start with what they say. Verse 2. Okay, maybe let's start from verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convictions proves that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. On one occasion, this is after he had said, receive them. Remember, he said, receive the Holy Spirit when he appeared to them in, when they were hiding. Right? And he said, receive. So this is what he spoke about in John 15. In John 15, he says, the Holy Spirit will be, the world will not know him. But Luna, he will be with you and in you. That's what we call the indwelling anointing. That's the anointing that brings the fruit of the Spirit. The anointing that develops your character. The very thing that we spoke about it, about yesterday, that when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can have peace, you can have the right character, but you won't have power. You understand the difference? So the indwelling anointing, the Spirit of God in you, what He does is He speaks to your spirit, He does all these other things that firstly give you identity, seal you as one for God for eternity, but he also gives, he imparts the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit. Now Jesus says something to the same people that he have received the Holy Spirit. He now says, but you must listen to the phrasing. The phrasing says, uh, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you understand what it says in a few days. It means it's something that has not happened before. But before they had cast out demons, they had done a lot of other things. He had even said, receive the Holy Spirit. But he says, this particular one will happen to you in a few days to come. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what did John the Baptist say? He said, when he comes, the one who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire again. Then says, then they gathered around him and blah 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 blah. And Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time and the date that was set by their father in his own authority, but you will receive power. Now I want you to observe a difference. When Jesus in John 15, 14, 15, 16, when he speaks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't talk about power. He says, when the Spirit comes, starting with the world, he says he will convict the world of sin and righteousness. When it comes to you, he says, he will guide you into all truth. He will show you what is to come. He will testify about me. He will give what is blah, 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 all those things. Right? But now this time he says, when he comes, you shall receive power. Do you know that Jesus had the Holy Spirit from his birth? Right? Because he was born of the Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit so much such that the Bible says when he went to John's home, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. He jumped when Mary entered the home. 
But the same guy who called his father, uh, God his father at the age of 12, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, this is now extended, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, setting those who were oppressed. So you understand the difference. Jesus had to have the baptism. And as when he goes, the first time, he goes to be baptized. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him in a form of a dove. When he comes from the wilderness, this is what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has an... Do you hear? He's not saying the Spirit of the Lord is in me. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is a upon me because he has anointed, he has empowered me to do these things that he mentions to preach the gospel to the poor. So the Holy Spirit baptism is that subsequent anointing upon that empowers you to do ministry. You understand? The anointing within is the one that helps you to live a Christian life to put the works of the flesh to death and so on and so forth. Thank you. What are the tools? Yeah. 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 Even with that, so, and I understand what you're saying. So, the, the, the anointing is the one that says, and the baptism is the one that comes with power. How is it though that we get baptized in the Holy Spirit and our lives are just the same? Like, there's no manifestation of that power. Can, I know it's not on God, it's on us, right? But should it be that the next time there's a call for the baptism of um, the Holy Spirit, I must also um, go to the altar call? Because it has happened. I've had it done. I've been prayed for, I've prayed, um, but for one reason or the other. What's an ordinary mean? So let's go to Acts chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been, uh, what's the word, intimidated by the Sanhedrin. And then they, they go, they were told to not to do certain things. Are you there? And then they went to their own, the Bible says in verse 23, and then they started praying again. Verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was what? Was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, two things. One is the wrong assumption that once you are baptized, that's it. The Bible keeps showing us that they were filled and filled, which means the anointing kept increasing, right? But then here's another point. What, what was the baptism for? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So power was for ministry. 
But when power for ministry is not used for ministry, then there won't be any results. Then you're going to revert back to where you've been. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's not on God, but it, it is on us at two levels. One is at the level of thinking the Holy Spirit. And this is a charismatic problem. You're missing the point. Jesus said, he didn't say, when the Holy Spirit comes, you speak in tongues. That one he already spoke a long time ago in, in Mark chapter 16. He says, and this sign shall follow them that believe in my name. You know, speaking in tongues is dead. So that one was spoken. But he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power. How is this power going to happen? Let's go to what Peter says in Cornelius' house. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, who went about doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, when we don't do, Firstly, we are in disobedience. But the most important thing is this. Is in Romans chapter 12. Now, Paul says to us, when we have received the grace, we must operate in accordance to our faith. Now, here's a question. How many people do you think in our church have gifts? It's not even made on. If they are born again, the Holy Spirit gives them gift. Okay, here's a question. What do they do in the context of their faith? Remember, faith without works is dead. So now, I have this thing. I'm empowered. Ah, my friend, you are as good as somebody who has no power. Those who have gone to missions, any mission you ever go to, you are going to see a miracle. It's impossible to go to a mission and not see. You know why you see miracles? It's because suddenly, you, that, you're doing what Paul says, stay up there, the gifts. Now suddenly you lay hands upon them, you are doing, went about doing good. And when you realize that, okay, here's the level of anointing, I'm not reaching the next level of people's need. Guess what the, the Holy Spirit does? You pray, and what did he do? He filled them again. And if you can read, it says there, I want you to hear this part. It says, can someone read verse 33 in a different version? Of Agrua in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 33. Great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? It was no longer, the Bible says in Romans 12, we are giving the gifts of grace. But now it says, after they prayed and were filled, the same people that were filled on Pentecost, says they were filled again. It says this time around there was great power. And great what? Grace. Grace. When Jesus spoke to them, he said you will receive 
power. The testimony of this second round is great power and great grace. That is why uh, this is why I want to stop. For as long as we make the church the the arena of one gift, we'll never see great grace and great power. Because there'll always be one person preaching, doing one thing all the time, the rest sitting down, not doing, went about. Yes, Okay. <laughs> I like to take advantage of such teachings. It's a question that I think is going to help me because I was left confused. Uh, the child in me says it's going to be embarrassing, but the aspiring man in me wants to ask anyway. At this point in time, I'm not speaking in tongues. But when I said I was delivered from everything that I was using as my coping mechanism for my traumas, nobody had prayed for me. So basically what happened that day is I was alone in the house, kids were at school, husband was gone, and I took a chair, an empty chair, and I put it in front of the chair that I was sitting on. And I said to God, you said if I call you answer. And you respond and show me this. So I'm exhausted from all these things. They are not healing, but they are numbing for some time. And everything goes back to normal. When I'm sober, then everything is, is back to normal. And I had in a car moment. At the end of that sit down with, with, with God, I was woken up an hour later by very bad knocks at the door because it was the neighbor and the securities at the gate. And when I came to, my face was full of snot and tears and I was in a fetus position on the floor, no longer on the chair. Prior to being on the floor, I, I, I spent my life most of the time thinking I have to be strong. So I was keeping a lot of stuff inside. What I do remember before the floor and the fetus position is that I felt like something was punching me on my chest. And I felt tears of 35 years just coming out. So when I came to with all of that, I realized that I was speaking in a language that I don't understand. As I'm still trying to process that, I hear the bang on the door. I open the door, securities were scared because the neighbor said I was loud. Um, if I make an example, it would be the, the whole room kind of great because I was mad at God and everything that had happened in my life. And silence. So I was told what had happened, and I realized that I actually did speak in tongues at the end of that encounter. So I want to know why I'm not speaking in tongues now. Could it be something that I did not do? Because it has bothered me. Even when I went to the room to pray, when we were praying, part of my prayer was still the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
because sometimes you feel like you're not Christian enough when, like what Coco was saying, when you say pray in tongues and everybody bursts into tongues and you're there, you don't know what, what, what to say. Some have said I put too much thought into it. Some have said I did not practice it. So I wanted to hear from you and the team. Maybe someone does who have an answer if you don't. What did I do? What did I not do right after that encounter? Or what did I do wrong for me to not have it till today? Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 19 again. Are you still okay, Mazala? You are exhausted, I can see you. Eh? After all that food, or the food is finished in your system now. Okay. Uh, let's, let, let, let's read... Uh, verse 1 to verse 6. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John the baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And they spoke in tongues and did what? So, so here's the point I want to emphasize. Is that, firstly let's look at our own extremes. Our own extremes relegate the, the feeling or the baptism of the Spirit to just speaking in, in tongues, which is the very thing that Kuku uh, uh, was talking about. Paul says, I wish all of you can speak in tongues. But you see, he doesn't say... Uh, you're not speaking in tongues because you are not filled with the Spirit. He says, I wish you can speak in tongues because these are the benefits of speaking in tongues. Now, other people who are filled with the Spirit, what did they do? They prophesied. Are you following? They manifested the power. Okay, let's, let's, put, let's start with Jesus. Did Jesus speak in tongues? Jesus didn't speak in tongues. Did he? There's nothing recorded about Jesus speaking in, in tongues. But the Bible says the Lord anointed him with the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of 
the spirit coming upon him and all these things that so firstly let's let's deal with the elephant in the house first before we get too far <laughs> you don't have to feel condemned because you don't speak in in tongues you have to desire that's why paul says desire spiritual gifts and the interesting thing is he chooses these two especially prophecy but he's comparing two gifts he says tongues and prophets what does he say he says you must desire are you following you mustn't desire out of a sense of condemnation you must desire out of the sense of benefit that they bring so that's the elephant in the house because everywhere we go people have this sense of A lot of other people who did not speak in tongues manifested the power of the spirit as they were given because more balancing here in First Corinthians chapter 12 it says the manifestation of the spirit is given for the benefit of all and it says to one is given one is the manifestation of the spirit does it say it says to others tongues and then it says to others interpretation of tongues. But, here's the important thing. It says, uh, okay, let's just read because now we're going to go on and on and you're not even going to get the point of what I'm saying. Is it okay if we keep reading? Uh, we are in chapter 1 Corinthians 12 again. So, I want you to see something. It says, I'm reading verse 4 again says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them again verse 7 now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good ne? to one that is given through the spirit a message of wisdom another message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith another gifts of healing to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues by the same spirit. So here's what I want you to, to see. Now let's go to verse 27 of the same chapter. It says, I grew in First Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and each of each one of you is a part of you. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second professors, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, Helping of guidance of different kinds of tongues, Udlari. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire greater gifts. What is Paul saying? Tatenda is Because you can see, this is a rhetoric question. He say not everyone operates in all these things. Which means, by implication, it says, when you are not operating in these things, don't feel condemned, but desire. What you must be asking yourself is, am I operating in what God has? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, the power of God will come with the power gifts. The power gifts are all those things we were reading. Are you following? Mm-hmm. Only power gifts, only 
uh, verbal gifts, prophecy, wisdom, and um, knowledge. Are you following? So then you have to ask us, what am I operating in? Because that's what God is going to use. So when you read, you understand that, for instance, tongues would be useless in the context of wanting to speak to a church, according to the Bible. So basically, the church can therefore, the church as a whole can do without tongues. Unless there's interpretation. Therefore, you must desire tongues for your own charging. Does that make sense? So whether you did something wrong or right is irrelevant insofar as your understanding of your desire is concerned. Your desire to speak in tongues must be informed by the fact that you understand the benefits, not by a sense that you are half better than other people who speak in tongues. Because the other thing about tongues and any other gift is the fact that they are gifts, they don't regulate the, the fruit. Fruit is the anointing way within. Right? So there are people who operate in gift but don't have them. Fruit. So here's the question: What would you rather have at times? Because those who may even seemingly show the gift, Jesus says, for some of them, I don't know them, because they say, "Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we operate in power gifts?" But Jesus says, "Yeah, but as far as I am concerned, you are not born again. As far as I'm concerned, you." So my point is, you are safer with the fruit than with the gift, right? But you are at your best with your fruit and the gift. Does that make sense? You happy? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's worth no, as you can repeat, we were saying with all these things, I get remove condemnation out of your life, but just be aware that you are safer with the fruit than with the gift, as far as Jesus' judgment is going to be concerned. But you are at your best with the fruit and the gift. So which means, that's why Paul is not here and there. He says, when he starts that chapter, he says, desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. When he closes the chapter, he says, desire spiritual gift, greater ones. What are the greater ones? The ones that edify the body, the church. Yes, sir.
Um, I remember at the point where in at my my first baptism of the Spirit, I was questioning a lot about speaking in tongues and and, and reasoning it out, being being a scholar mm. in those. So it was a bit hard to transition from praying with my own language or the language that I understand to praying in tongues. So this other day, I'm saying to these guys, okay, let's have a call, answer my questions, because I've got too many questions with this. Mentors um, and jokes, you know those calls, you could call endlessly. Yeah. So I have a call with these guys, uh, it's two of them, and then I'm, I'm asking questions and so at some point, I'm speaking to one person. At some point, the other person comes in. And, 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 and. But at some, at, 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 during the conversation at some point, I think I put down the phone and I went top, the rooftop. Because I, there was that burning. Mm. Like at that point, I had to pray. And as I'm praying, I just started speaking okay, in tongues. And it was so beautiful. And I think the beautiful part is I was resisting initially. But when the Holy Spirit took over, my resistance didn't matter because there was an inquisitive and a desire to taste what it feels like. And during that point at my first baptism, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful sensation and, and I don't know how to explain it. At that point, I could tell when the angels are in the room. It, it was a spiritual encounter of some sort. My spiritual eyes were open in, in that, and it was beautiful. Yeah. And then there was another guy who got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He spent three days, the whole, the whole weekend, in his room because all he could do was speak in tongues. He could not have a conversation okay. with another person. So flat out, he had a glorious weekend of, of himself. And then there was, you remember Tabel, you know Tabel? When he got baptized, it was, he spent a few days in his room reading the word. He could not leave the room for other things. And by the end, I think it was three days, he had finished the whole Bible. And he was a... If you encounter him, when it comes to the word, you know you have answers. There is, that, that was the encounter. But then there were times in the sanctuary wherein we were praying. We were praying in tongues, but there was an element of the speaking, wherein the speaking needed interpretation. Mm. And someone would, as someone spoke, as we gathered, what God is saying and someone is still so much in the spirit and they continue this they are now speaking it's not a prayer these are words to us and someone amongst us would catch what they are saying and begin to interpret what this other person is saying so it was like a conversation in a sense that someone would say whatever they're saying in tongues cause and then miraculously this one is interpreting. When this one is done, they continue. But the conversation was so beautiful. Like I think I appreciated those days a lot in terms of spiritual growth and seeing the the, 
what is supposed to be natural to us, what we call the supernatural, being at work amongst amongst us. But I just wanted to share that testimony of the experience of the Holy Spirit um, and the baptism there. Um, that, that, that's pretty much um, <laughs> what we experienced. That's why we try to make the retreat. Because then a church set up like we have whilst the Holy Spirit is trying to do something you're like I, uh, uh, because when you do the things of the Spirit time stops are you following what I'm saying time stops but you do not Joe back so every time you make us feel guilty about time and unfortunately Sometimes we've had to stop the service when you can tell that the Holy Spirit is dealing with people. So, right now we've had those encounters. We've had like, glorious things. That's why now you can't convince me there's no speaking in tongues. It's impossible. You can't convince me. Because it happened in my room and like this said, it was a glorious thing. And what it does, you understand my point? So my point is this, is that firstly, let's not move from condemnation. Let's move exactly from Scripture. Scripture says desire. When we desire, and remember, you can never walk in what you despise. You understand that type of thing? Other people like, like ah, these tongues, things. Others are like, so for instance, if you look at our churches, let's look at Cosmo. At Cosmo, we don't um, overtly criticize false prophets and the things that they do. But we had gone into a caution mode. And I said, when you go into a caution mode about the things of the Spirit, it won't happen. Because the things of the Spirit need surrender. They don't need you to say, hey, no, no, no. Prophecy will come where people desire prophecies. If you don't desire it, don't. If you give yourself a label, and the label comes from the fact that people don't want to understand the priesthood of all believers, now I have a teaching gift. And at this point, it's very lousy. It's not what it used to be, but it's there. When it's at its best, I've seen it set people free. Like, while I'm talking, you see a guy gets straight to the court, you know? And I can show you lots of people that that gift has brought them through. But you see, when the Bible, the, the Bible speaks of our meetings, it says, how is it, brethren, when you come together? Another one has a word of wisdom, another one has this, another one. Now, another way we have created church, we elevate one gift. So, unfortunately, if I have the teaching gift and I'm the lead guy, that church becomes a teaching church. And now suddenly, if you come, if you are outside that, people look at you with suspicion. Like, ah, I go like the Greek word. That's why I don't use Greek words anymore at church. <laughs> are you following so we need a spiritual environment 
is the spiritual of the priesthood of all believers celebrating all gifts such that when a, a, an evangelist speaks we are excited when a prophet speaks we want everything because we desire everything but if we are sharp you will see even those that are not teachers they try to teach and because they are not teachers you automatically feel like <laughs> because you can hear that this person is trying too hard. But this person actually has a gift of the working of miracles. When he stands there, he's not supposed to preach. He's just supposed to say, who has what what problem? When they pray for you, those ones. I think I don't want to tell this story. I've told it many times. I had a friend like that. Okay. I also want to add on the first experience of speaking in tongues. Mina, I remember very well, I just got born again in the 90s. I think it was 1996. And I experienced speaking in tongues at home. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I didn't know what was happening. Because that time, even our church, they were not even teaching about speaking in tongues. I believe we did. If they even do that in church, they would believe it to Amatimo. So I remember when that happened, I was at home, my sister and my mother were there. They were so traumatized because I started by praying and then I locked the door. I couldn't unlock the door. And they were like, no, she's dying in there, you know. And those people are not born again, you know. And they were like, and the neighbors, like, because it was in the morning, but it was, the sun was already out. And then, like, I will never forget that experience. And after that, when I like, came back to life, you know, and then I opened the door, they were asking me what was happening. I couldn't explain to them because I didn't understand what was, what was happening. That was my first encounter of speaking in tongues. And it happened, like, until midday. I couldn't reach the door. Mm. Things were happening, I was rolling and things like that. I don't remember whether I lost conscience or whatever. And then I want to add as well, um, my other, I think I've never experienced that again until now. Where it's funny how she, she indeed said it, like similarized my experience where someone will speak in tongues and then there will be a pause and someone... Uh, we interpret. I've experienced that and it happened once. Even that time, I didn't understand the speaking in, in tongues and to edify the church and interpret what it means. But it has happened. I don't even know those people because the church then, I remember the speaking in tongues was a taboo conversation. Mm. But I realized if God wants to take over, the Holy Spirit wants to take over, it does take over. Because I don't think those people, they even understood what was happening. Because after that, we were all amazed. We didn't know what was happening. But I know it was the most beautiful experience ever. And I've never experienced that again. Funny enough. That, that, the, the, the interpretation, the interpretation. And, the, and the speaking of time. I've never experienced that one. Yes, Yes, in the day chat. I just wanted to get clarity about given my previous religious background. It's the first time I've been exposed to this type of teachings, right? 
now that we're clear with the gift, can I get clarity on what is the fruit? Okay, so the, the fruit, I think we, the fruit are in Galatians 5, 22. So it says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. So basically, the fruit is what forms your character. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, let's say you were an erratic person, right? So what does the Holy Spirit do? He imparts to your spirit patience and self-control. Now you're going to find yourself wanting, like if you used to lose your temper. Now suddenly you have this thing. You become restless. Before you would have just already. But the thing that makes you restless is the fact that the law of sin still wants you to act according to Remember, it's, it says the works of the flesh, it, it lists them, and then it lists the fruit of the Spirit. So it says these two are in conflict. So at the time when you feel like, hey, I want to do something, the Spirit, the fruit says, no, don't. The flesh says, what's up, Joanna? The fruit says, it's okay. It says, no, 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 it's not. So, and then, who come to that? What does that mean? If we could put it in terms of the, the fruit and the, the works of the flesh, this person is saying, apply the fruit of the spirit. Now I'm going into the flesh. That is why Bazaran Babang, they like it said, I've heard it many times. You remember that phrase that we used to do? I'm going to lay hands on you at a very high velocity. <laughs> Again, the spirit says, I must lay hands gently and cast out demons. But this time around, I'm going to lay them by the velocity. It's going to be very high. So when we talk about the fruit, we talk about the character that the spirit forms. That is why I was saying, be aware that as much as people have gifts, they don't have the character. That is why Muruti can preach. Because the power for ministry is gift. Is the Holy Spirit upon. Right? But the power to have the character is the Holy Spirit within. That is why you can also have very good Christians who have the fruit but have no power. That, that, is, that used to be confusing to me. Yeah. And now that you explain it, it's, it's just opened my understanding. Because I used to ask myself, what happened? Why, why, why are they this? They are so powerful, but and you hear stories like how did, he, how did he do? Yeah, I used to be confused for years, but now I understand. So let's put it this way, just so that right now you are able to teach someone. The anointing within is to be. The anointing upon is to do. Yeah. Does that make wow. sense? Yes. So once you get it, you will be able to 
understandable. We say the anointing within is to be the character. The anointing upon is to do. So basically, as a Christian, you need both. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think we're going to change our program a bit. We're just going to worship God now. And just be grateful. And what he does, he will do. What he doesn't do, it's okay. So what we want to do is we're just going to sing a song or two. What we want to apply ourselves to is that you are God. You are our Father. You are our King. You are our friend. We want to appreciate you. You are Ganda Ganda. You are Dagaramba. There was this other one. Caterpillar. You are Caterpillar. Can you imagine now? Has it gone to that? You know, it's gone to Caterpillar. So, but Bazalan, what we want to do, remember, there can be worship where there's no fear of God. Right? So what we, we really want to do at this point is ask the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's what it says. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you develop an approach and an attitude of the fear of God. So as we worship, we just seek to concentrate on God. We're not asking Him anything. We're just loving Him. When you love God, just be aware you love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You understand? You don't just love one at the expense of the others. You love all of them. So you express yourself to all of them. So shall we stand up, sing a song, and sing with a, a sense of reverence, not just for the sake of the song. Thank you. <laughs>